hello mermaids pirates no just joking just joking. <laughs> just joking um hey what's going on good people it's gardner douglas your oyster ninja um i got a special guest you know a little special guest tonight uh i got miss kara uh mozia mozia god thank you i, I knew that i knew that it's crazy because I was practicing before. I was like, all right, let me hear her say it a couple of times. I was listening to the pocket. That's how I got your intro. Um, but uh <laughs> <laughs> um cool. Um, so yeah, she is the host of So You Wanna Be a Marine Biologist. And um, you know, this is just hold on, a great podcast because different from what I do um hers really deep dives she has so much structure it's just a great podcast easy to listen to um you know don't listen to the oyster ninja podcast don't do just this episode so you can find her podcast um no just joking hey what's going on how you doing no your podcast is fantastic everyone should just do all the wonderful ocean related podcasts right (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And honestly, it's enough room out here for all of us. Yeah. So I host the So You Want to Be a Marine Biologist podcast, like you mentioned. And kind of how I got into it was, well, I am a marine biologist, start there. And I have done a lot of really fun things in my career. And I've gotten the question of how do I do what you're doing? Or my niece wants to be a marine biologist. Like, how does she do that? And there really isn't a lot of great resources out there to answer this question. And I decided to be that resource. So it's not just like, you know, this is how you become a marine biologist because there's no one way to do it. Um, And I think that people want to become a marine biologist or interested in the ocean because they love the ocean or they find it fascinating or terrifying and that's fascinating in themselves so they wanna learn more. Right. So that's something I like to highlight on the show is like how amazing our ocean is and how much we rely on it, even if we don't live anywhere near the ocean. And there's always something that we can do to help the ocean, whether we're a marine biologist or we live in Nebraska and we're not anywhere near it. Right. So it's it's really fun to talk, talk to people. So we swap sea stories. We kind of dive into some science topics and we get into what other marine biologists have done or even not marine biologists, people that just have careers working with the ocean or ocean animals and it's a lot of fun we have a good time doing it and I, your episode isn't released yet but i'm excited for your episode to be launched into the world cool cool you know um and that, and that i think it'd just be fun you know because i'm not a marine biologist not even close uh no type of backing or schooling on that stuff um but you know i still have the love for it and like you said you don't have to be um or you don't have to be a marine biologist or you don't have to go down this certain road you can go down this avenue also or you can um you know look into shell recycling or whatever whatever um but we're gonna get to the podcast more later but i just want to talk about you something different right because you're a podcast host and it's never about you it might be a story or something but let's talk about you like how was your upbringing like as a little a little uh uh, uh kid running around So I'm super lucky. I grew up on the East coast of Florida. So 
people talk about like they want to be a marine biologist from a kid and I won't say I like grew up wanting to be a marine biologist but I think it was probably uh definitely brought into my brain from my environment I spent a lot of time in the water whether it was playing in the river or out in the ocean in the beach um I surfed um I like to scoop. I learned how to scuba dive. It was something I really wanted to do when I was 18. And, you know, I just, anything in the water, I was all about it. So, um, yeah, I was really fostered. My parents, we never had a boat growing up, but we had friends that had boats, which honestly, it's even a better deal when your friends have boats. So we would go out in there with them all the time. Um, we live several hours north of the Keys. So we would go down to the Keys fairly often, like at least once a year. Um, and go snorkeling down there. So all of this really kind of fostered my love and my curiosity for the ocean. And then when it came down to what, what did I wanted to do for college? Cause not going to college wasn't a choice for me. <laughs> um, nothing sounded interesting except for marine science. Everything else is just like, meh, meh, meh. So I went for it and here I am. <laughs> So what was high school studies like for you? Like, where were you interested, like type of courses were you interested in high school? Um, I mean, like, I wouldn't say, you know, I did take some marine science classes. So there was one class I really loved, two classes I really loved too. Um, in my senior year, junior and senior year, I had environmental science and marine science and they kind of were the same class. They just rolled in over into, the different semesters um so we had i i think everywhere has different high schools schedules but for us we had what's called block scheduling so our classes were like 100 minutes long and we had four of them a day and then at the end of each semester it would switch so it was more similar to a college schedule than like elementary or middle school where you kind of had the same classes and same teachers year round um so marine science and environmental science is something I was interested in doing then. Um, I also took French. I took a ton of French in high school. By the end, I was like pretty dang good at it. Um, now I can like maybe get by, you know, use it or lose it. <laughs> um, but those are like my favorite classes. But high school recently, I actually, you know, they have the superlatives like most outgoing, like most likely to succeed. Right, right. I got the worst case of senioritis. So okay, all right, easy enough. <laughs> that was me in high school. <laughs> I spent a lot of time at the beach. <laughs> nice. So, so how was college life and breaking into like uh, marine science courses? My parents were super strict. I had to have a three point five GPA in order to drive, and my school had a rule that if you had a four point oh your junior and senior year, or I forget which years it was, but if you had a 4.0 um, straight A's, you didn't have to take your final exams. So I made sure I had A's because I didn't have to take final classes. And school wasn't super, like it just wasn't that challenging for me for whatever reason. And I went to college without having to study much. And it was a very rude awakening um, because college, you just cannot breeze by in your classes. So for anybody that's like in high school now, knows a high schooler that's just like breezing by, <laughs> They should learn some study skills while they can, because um, college was like really, really hard and a huge awakening. And it was um, I kept coming back to like, OK, is this really what I want to do? Because this is a lot right. Like marine science, it sounds really wonderful. And it sounds like you're just going to go out and play in the water all the time. And I think that's like primary reason why a lot of people get into it. It's why I got into it. Um, but 
you are <laughs> taking a ton of science classes, chemistry. And if you don't have study skills or a good basis for it, you're in for a world of hurt. So I definitely had to learn to study again. Um, calculus, we had to take calculus, which was like, oh, oh my goodness. Um, it's a whole nother language and it's math. And it's in it math, but it was algebra and calculus just is a, little a whole nother level. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. Way different. Um, so that was way different. Um, and then, you know, bio, biology one, general, bi all the general bios, chemistry. So like chemistry one and two were challenging, but then we got to organic chemistry and I don't know why most people like cry when they want to, when they hear orgo chemistry, but I actually ended up loving it. Um, it was one of the weirdos that ended up loving it. So, um, yeah, just a lot of science. And then once you get to like the really higher levels of biochemistry and molecular and cellular biology, I would say like the first two years of college are probably way harder than the last two years, even though you're taking higher level classes, just because I had such a big learning curve of how to study. And then, um, and then being able to connect everything. It was like, it was like one epiphany after another my junior and senior year. And that was really fun. So jumping into, um, you know, your actual job, like how was it looking for like, I guess, internships and jobs? Did you even know where to start? Um, not really. So there's a nature center. Well, kind of. So I, my favorite job still was I was a camp counselor at a uh, local environmental science school it's part of the local school district um but i don't know you, kids go there uh every year and it's k through seven and each year each year this field trip is different so it's like the field trip that every child looks forward to and it really fosters like all kids love for the environment here which is awesome it's definitely partially where mine came from um and they also have a summer camp that pretty much every kid loves to go to and i was no exception but my favorite i when i was old enough i was a camp counselor and was best thing ever so um so after that you age out once you're a senior in high school they, they don't want you anymore so uh after i came back from college there's another nature center locally that i kind of looked at and got an internship for um and that's kind of where i knew to like start my internship process and yeah well um what the listeners might not know is you did a bid i don't know if i should say a bid but you uh, spent some time with Oyster Recovery. How did that even happen? Yeah, um, so that's kind of a wild story. <laughs> so I moved to Maryland and I got a job with uh, the DNR actually up there. So I was living in Annapolis and I worked for Maryland Department of Natural Resources. And we were doing a uh, pilot study for electronic reporting. There's watermen in the Chesapeake Bay. So these are crabbers, oystermen, um, any fishermen, they call themselves watermen. It's like their own rite of passage in, in the Chesapeake Bay. And we were doing a crabs, crab harvest reporting. Uh, so historically how it had worked was all crabbers had to report their catches, but it was done by a paper. And by the time the paper got to the DNR and then the DNR actually had somebody manually input it into a computer, it was like months down the line and it was almost impossible to make any sort of good management decisions from it 
So the idea was, well, we live in the 21st century. Let's make this electronic. So I was brought on to help train smartphones or their home computer. They could call in for some of the older ones that was more helpful. Um, and a lot of the watermen are much older and they've been doing this a long time. So that was a lot of fun, um, but eventually the funding ran out for my position and the DNR had partnered with Oyster Recovery Partnership <laughs> to fund this project. And ORP was like, well, hey, we don't have necessarily the funding to keep you doing exactly that, but we have a position that's opening up over here. So you can kind of help a little bit with this crab reporting project, but also mostly you help us with our oyster stuff. So that's kind of how that happened. And my role over there pretty much got away from the crab reporting system that started to like run itself. But I was in charge of um, helping pick out sites. So I work with the state um, DNR and also NOAA to help pick out sites. Um, so the reason why Oyster Recovery Partnership and why are we putting oysters back in the Chesapeake Bay back in like John Smith's day, right? Like 1800s, or even before that 1700s, oysters were considered a navigational hazard in the Chesapeake Bay. So there was just heaps and mounds of them and big ships were having a hard time getting through because they draw water and oysters are just building these big bars. And now that is not the case at all there. Um, even though there, there's massive efforts to try to make that happen again. Oysters, they're estimated at 1% of historic levels. So this is where push to restore them comes in. And oysters play, as you know, such an important ecological role, not only just providing habitat and structure to the bottom, which create like which attracts all sorts of fish and bigger fish and just creates its own little ecosystem, but one oyster, one adult oyster, so like two or three inches, can filter up to 50 gallons of water a day. So it's like an entire full bathtub. It can just go through the water. So it's pulling out all of the everything from the water column and helping create like a healthier ecosystem for all the plants and animals that call the Chesapeake Bay home. So it was a really cool project. I was really excited to be a part of it. It was a lot of fun. So when you were um, picking out locations, like what was important? Um, their favorite substrate, they love other oysters and just kind of build on each other, which is what you see when you're taking them apart and chucking them, right? You kind of see which ones have grown into each other and which ones haven't. Right, right. So we try to provide that. Um, we go, Noah went out and mapped a lot of the bottom. And so we're looking for a hard bottom because if you put oyster shell down or sometimes we would put concrete, um, concrete rabble or even like concrete pilings um, for them to settle on. If we put that into a bottom that was mostly muck, then it would just sink and it would, and the silt would take over and we wouldn't have any oysters there anymore. So we want a hard bottom and we would go out Noah went out and mapped a lot of it, and but we would go out and ground truth it, which is literally putting a diver, me or, or some of my colleagues in the water, and we run transects like throughout this site, and you and ground truthing, it sounds so scientific, but it's literally me like all in my dive gear with the communication link up to the boat, and I'm running a transect, which is just a line in the water, and like every... I think it was every yard was marked and so every yard I was like calling up to the boat okay my finger is going in knuckle deep <laughs> okay my finger is not going in at all uh so it's literally me just probing from the bottom it sounds um, very scientific and that's kind of how we ground you <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I mean we covered a lot of area and then we would go back um we would have they would they would either put substrate down if we needed it so that's oyster shell or like I said concrete 
And then we also worked with Horn Point, Point Hatchery um, that's over in the Eastern Shore of Maryland. And they actually grew the oysters and had them settle on spat on shell. So that's the baby oysters on the oyster shell. We would load them by like the tons literally onto big boats and then take them out to our sites. They would get sprayed off the boats with like a fire hose because it's literally a ton of oysters. And then we would come back like at set intervals to check on them, like all of that fun stuff to just really get an idea of what it what it was, what it looked like. Nice. Um, yeah. Great to have that oyster background. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so as a marine biologist now, what do you do? Right now I talk about it. <laughs> no, I have my podcast um, and I've been helping out with my, my good friend, Jessica Pate works with the Marine Megafauna Foundation of the Americas. So I go out and I would, and we look for manta rays, which is a lot of fun. Um, okay. Yeah. That sounds like fun. So what made you yeah. want to start the Dagon yeah. podcast? Because for me, um, I couldn't find anything I wanted to listen to. So I created what I wanted to listen to. Why did you want to start a podcast? It's there you hard go. work. It is hard work. What I found that I love the most, besides just like playing on the water, was talking to people about it and getting people excited about it. And it was so much fun. Like with sea turtle work, we would have like sometimes baby sea turtles and just like watching people's eyes get really big, really excited. And you can just like, you know, as you share what you're doing, you can just like see this light bulb go on and like, oh, there's this whole world underneath the water that I'm looking at, right? It's a whole 3D world. And to just like bring that to life for people, even if it's just verbally and they don't see it, is like huge. It was like, it's very fulfilling for me. So that's kind of where the podcast stemmed from. Nice. That's a great answer. <laughs> so what's been, or what's your favorite episode uh, so far that you've recorded and why, oh, of course? Uh, well, yours isn't released yet, so we can't. <laughs> Good answer. I want to say I have favorite parts of each of them. Like there's something about every episode that I love. Um, a huge milestone for me, I had Sylvia Earle on the podcast very recently. She's episode number 60. And for anybody that doesn't know, she is a legend, legend in the marine bio world, legend oceanographer. She's just done all of the things, has thousands of hours diving underwater, literally has sea creatures named after her. Like she's an amazing person and has done a lot of amazing things for the ocean and the ocean and ocean community. So that was a huge milestone for me to have her on the show for sure. Um, I don't know. I really like chatting with photographers. I like it when people get excited. I've had researchers from like Thailand on the show talking about sea slugs and digging in the muck. I feel like I learned something new every episode. Okay. That's great. And, yeah. And that's the truth, right? Like and that's the funny thing about being a marine biologist and marine scientist when you tell your friends and family that or like you go out with them and they're like, oh, this is something ocean related. You must know what it is. And right. like, okay, well, the ocean is a very big place and there bit. are like literal <laughs> millions of critters, not to mention systems. Like, I don't know everything. Um, so I, I learned something every single episode and that's the truth. I know, you know, I, I know quite a bit. I've got a lot of research and I've talked to a lot of people, but when it comes to like, you know, really digging into it, I learn I learn something every episode, which is really fun. I think the biggest surprise for me and what I find the most rewarding is truly my audience. Like I, like 
hearing from them and like like I get emails from them fairly often and like just the feedback and I just I didn't expect it mm-hmm. I don't know why I didn't expect it. it's kind of why I got into it right like I like talking to people about it but I really do that's probably my favorite part and like the best part and that was like what I learned most about myself is like you know I really like interacting with the people um do you have any or do you suggest the episode to listen to like people's like when you or you tell someone you got a podcast you know, if you're a first time listener, honestly, my first episode is like a really great intro to the podcast. It's kind of why I did it. So mm-hmm. it's like, what does it take to be a marine biologist? And if that's something like that piques your interest, then that's a great one to listen to. But we've talked about, like I said, sea slugs, nudibranchs, um, sharks. We've talked about flesh eating bacteria. We've talked about um, dolphins and whales and corals and just all of the things. So there's there's an episode for you nice I actually one of my one of my favorite episodes and it's like really overlooked but I like it because I had a question like where does the mercury in the ocean come from you always hear mm-hmm. don't eat don't eat fish that are old or like really big because there's bioaccumulation so they like there's mercury in the ocean and it gets in the fish's tissues and then small fish get eaten by the bigger fish, bigger fish, bigger fish. And then you're eating this bigger fish. And so you get this big dose of mercury. And I'm like, well, where does it actually come from? Yeah. And I couldn't find a good answer. So I asked a chemist from California, like a marine chemist from California to be on the show just so I could get my answer. And that's probably one of my favorite episodes just because I was curious. <laughs> mm, I'm going to check that one out. <laughs> And we can't even give the answer away because we got to get people to go to find that episode <laughs> and find out the answer for yourself. If you've been wondering, now you have an answer and you know where to get it from. There you go. It's a it's a several part answer. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, too easy. Yeah, I, I really um, appreciate you for uh, coming on the platform. I appreciate you for sharing your platform, bringing me on your podcast. Um I hope everyone goes check out your podcast. Uh, So you want to be a marine biologist. Go check it out. Well, what platform, where can, where can we find you at on Instagram and all that and the podcast, where can we find it? Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, I've been posting some fun resources on my website. It's just marinebio.life. Again, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. We're going to talk more. I'm excited to hear the episode. Hope you're excited to hear this episode. And uh, that's it. I'm 